within our party, we have to have accountability, even for people who agree with us on issues that we care so much about, from healthcare to education. But if they're not doing the right thing as it relates to treatment of women, then they're not on our side. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello. Shaka. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, get ready, everyone. <laughs> Um, did you not? Did you keep recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to stop recording. I thought you were like, fuck that. That's not good. Hey, we kept it. Hey. Because I was like, what would a spindrift can um, sound like when it opens? We got our spinders with us. Not sponsored. Not yet. sponsored yet. yet. <laughs> got a, I, I, I'm down with a spinder. Spinder's my favorite after a meal when I want a little sweet. Oh, you know so what good. I mean? Yeah. It's not a dessert. I understand. I have no, many of we those. Gotta, we got to trick our minds. Yeah, I got to. I got to trick myself some way. So I love me a spinder. Mm-hmm. Justin calls them spinders. Oh, that's cute. Man, I'm in a it, good mood. Good mood. You just made a good day of recording. Yeah, it's crazy how like a conversation can totally change. Not that we are in a bad mood. Yeah, it's just we were kind of in the thick of doing whatever, and um, it, oh, we're professional. Oops, <laughs> we were the th- in the thick of doing whatever, but it just like lit us up. Lit us up. I feel what the kids call lit. I feel lit. I just feel like, dude, I just love when we're doing shit that matters. Mm -hmm. And we're always doing stuff that matters. But like, when I really feel like what we're going to do or what we're, the messages we're putting out make an impact, there's nothing better. I couldn't agree more. Nothing better. You know, knowing that like this could change one person's perspective on one thing and that this person, specifically the person on our podcast, I don't think has been on any other podcast. I looked, maybe I'm wrong, that she's going to be connecting with our community and that she was, her or her team were so inclined to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know. my hands are on my head and I have a blank stare because I'm like, yeah, changing perspective is it's really powerful. Not that we're standing here saying you should believe this, but mm-hmm. to we we I got a message the other day about um and it's out now, uh Dr. Adi Jaffe's episode. She was really impacted by his story and it totally shifted her perspective on addicts. Mm. Um she had uh, an addict in her family. And so it shifted her perspective on the rehabilitation process and all of that. And just, you know, Mm. a simple one hour podcast episode did that. But yeah. So yeah, just blessed. Blessed Blessed to be stressed. And And I guess we just had a conversation with T-Dot. Oh man. And we're just giggle pants (laughs) and we talked to (laughs) T-Dot. Who's T-Dot? Terry. I know. T-Dot is- Terry is Chris's mom. That's my mom. 
So sweet. I felt so, we were. Cr- I think that was, a, that was the first time we just I, get I like said little hi. girls. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. I was like, oh, what's going to happen to this? Because I was like, well, I'm on a speaker. Let's go. Yeah, literally, let's go. Because I would want to say hi and hug her. So Lindsay and I try and have lunch outside um, when we're recording and stuff, uh, just to take a break and kind of get in the sun. Because we're usually just like in the studio or you know working around here. Mm-hmm. And T dot gave us a call and we had the exact same conversation that I had yesterday, which is a little frightening. But uh, very sweet. That happens with my parents all the time. Yeah, she gave Mm -hmm. Lindsay some very sweet sentiments. So sweet. Uh, (laughs) She goes, you know, my hero is Terry Gross. You don't know her, but... Uh, And Terry Gross is a course, or she's an interviewer on NPR, which was really funny. So it was a a compliment. A hero is Mm -hmm. is Terry Gross, but it's also a a slight Because you don't know her. You don't know her. (laughs) Compliment dig. You know, that's how how T-Dot works. And then... The best part is, I don't know if anyone else's moms are like this, but uh, it's just like every conversation is led with fear. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, it's 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 There's a an urgency that yes. like you have something better to do, but let me just get one more in. Yeah. Well, it's also the, the compliment thing where it's oh. like, you guys are doing something. It's getting really, really big. You need to watch it because someone might steal your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that was our conversation. It was like, it was like, oh, you know, what you're doing is awesome. It's really growing, but also someone's going to steal your name and your likeness, and then they're going to take everything out from underneath you. That's my dad. <laughs> you're like, literally, my dad. you're like, okay, huh? you know, it's just. She's like, I like everything you're doing, but I, you know, I've told Chris I'm just not partial to the profanity. Oh yeah, she said no profanity. I mean, from day one, actually, when I was like. 14. She was telling me not to go. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. My- I used to get, oh, oh my God, dude, I was the worst. I was like 14 years old and I used to like throw back Frank Zappa at her and be like, what are words even? How can a word be good or bad? No one's <laughs> determining if a word is good or bad. Literally. What would she say? Literally, she goes, hands up, walks away. <laughs> hands up, walks away. <laughs> She would just be like, I just, you know, no matter what I would say, there was no processing of what I was saying and the Mm. thoughtful response. It was like, you're more educated than that is what she would say. Yeah. Yeah. Not really. To be completely honest. (laughs) (laughs) I literally went to public school in Ohio. Not really. (laughs) But yeah, I feel like, well, they don't, they feel like they're not exactly what you just said. They don't process it. So they can't have like Mm -hmm. a, a, cutting or simple or thoughtful retort. Mm-hmm. And so you win. Uh-huh. You win. So I went and I said, I'm going to my room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dude. So today is awesome. This is a bonus. Yeah. This is a bonus up yeah. for y'all because it's very important time of the year. So it is the Friday. If you're listening to this, you know, before the midterm elections, we thought it was very timely that we talk to Jimmu Green. Uh, She is a correspondent on Fox News, a liberal democratic correspondent on Fox News. So she is, you know, bringing the truth and also just like she, in the interview, she mentioned it, but she's like, I don't want to go into conversations where like everyone's like me and everyone's agreeing with me. You know, I want to go into rooms and hopefully empower people to maybe shift their perspective or just open their eyes a little bit wider and open their hearts to what's really going on. And she's incredible. Yeah. She's a media strategist. She's from Texas. She's done a lot of work uh, with Rock the Vote. 
So she was around mm-hmm. 26 when she became president of Rock the Vote. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's crazy. Remember that dude, MTV? Of course. Rock the it Vote. Was huge. Rock the Vote is insane. And that yeah. was the first time, and I said this on the podcast, but that I remember that media could affect mm. what is going on in the country politically. I was like, oh, people could use their platform to make social change for a good thing. Like, bye. That was huge. And just all the work that she's been doing, she has like done a lot with the Me Too movement and speaking out against that. She now uh, works with a lot of different groups uh, and she was voted one of the 40 40, under 40, Essence Magazine, major. Mm -hmm. Major. She's a beautiful light. Like she was just, I loved looking at her. I was like, I know. I just want like, so kind. Sit at your dinner table every night. I know. And she's really, um, I think it's an easy thing to be angry in this time, you Mm -hmm. know, with who's in power and just kind of being in rooms with mostly men. And she just brings an energy that is, gives people an opportunity, you know, to like present themselves as their best selves and perhaps, you know, an evolved sense of self. And so, you know, she's, she's not putting people on the defensive necessarily, which is really refreshing because no matter what your political view, sometimes I find it hard to listen to people, whether it's on TV, radio, podcast, whatever, who are just putting people on the defensive. Like, I don't know what's going to happen from there. Like, let's be productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's like an equal equal opportunity employer in that way. Mm. So she is part of the Democratic National Party, but she's all about diversifying the Democrats. She's called out people in the Democratic National Party. She is on Fox News. So she is like walking the walk and talking the talk in kind of unifying both groups of Republicans and Democrats. So she has a very like non-biased opinion and what she really wants And what I think we all really want is just to diversify the people in our Mm -hmm. political like landscape, you know, to have more women so that we can have more women perspective, more women opinions, you know, just more women thoughtfulness within the political system to change it from just being like a place where it's majority led by white men, not for the reason of hating white men, but for the reason that we need to have more of America represented. There are more than just white men in America. Again, no hate to them, but we need to have more women, more women of color, like different races, different ethnicities, having a voice so that we can be like equally represented within everything and the decisions that our political or that our government are making that impact everyone are impacting them in the right way. Yes. Yeah. And we talked a lot about the pink wave. So this rise of women um, in leadership roles, uh, both politically and elsewhere. And she's just so visibly excited about it when we were talking to her. Mm, it's it's just, it's wonderful. And it really inspires. She's like, when are you girls going to run for office? I was like, what? but- No one's ever asked me that. Literally. <laughs> but I it's- I was like, uh, I mean, never say never. My instinct is no, but yeah. she's really empowering like to people to think outside of what they know as a political office. She's like, you could be, you know, on the school board. Like we, you know, just kind of- expanding their idea of what it means to be in politics because it doesn't have to be what we see on TV as like, I mean, I fuck, I stress out every time I watch it. I'm like, how do these people live? How do these people not have heart attacks on a regular basis? So I think she's really doing the work to expand our ideas of how we can 
make an impact. Um, so we're really excited to introduce you to Jammu Green. Um, and if you'd like to connect with her, listen to the end of the episode uh, all the way through and she gives her contact um, info so you can connect with her and just ways in which you can get involved. Mm-hmm. And some people that are really people to watch in November on the 6th when you vote or if you voted you know, before if you're doing it this weekend. Um, and as a last thing, you know, I think that we did a great job and I think she does a great job of being very non-biased and sort of just getting out the facts that the voting is important. The people we elect are important. And um, I'm really excited for you guys to keep an open mind, you know, when listening to this and sort of when you're going out to the polls. Mm-hmm. All right. Enjoy this episode. We'll catch you on the other side. Bye. In every photo, you are you are radiant. Like you, every photo, I'm like, oh, I just love seeing your face. It's like, do you have any well, radiant tips? Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> wear pink. We need to wear hot pink. That's the thing. Ladies, let me tell you, I've, I've learned a lot being on Fox as far as the Foxified look. But I went through, when I was in my 20s, every picture I took was crazy. Tell me more. I had to like just stop and adjust. Honey, mm. I'm actually going through that right now because we are now more public. We are now doing more photos and videos and stuff. And I really just need to um, take a second and figure out what colors are good for me, what cuts are good for me, what is like working for me. So, and it's really like so I can show up and feel really good. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So, what and did you do to adjust? I practiced. Um, well, basically when I realized that I wasn't smiling mm. and even though I might've been happy or enthusiastic, pleasant in the moment, I looked like there was something going on wrong in my head. <laughs> I just had to make that mental switch. And yeah, that helped. that was in my mid twenties when I lived in DC. <laughs> oh, I feel like sometimes too, I have to tell people I'm like, if I get quiet or if I'm not smiling, it's because I'm really thinking. Yeah, and that's okay too, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm processing. So it's like, if I'm sitting there and I almost look blank, it's because I'm really, really processing what you're saying. And I'm trying to like, think about it really intelligently. But yeah, I know exactly how you feel. Well, what did you, what did you mean when you said like the Fox News? A like. Yeah, Fox Newsified. That like <laughs> that look. I can imagine. We've spoken to a few women who like made their careers on TV, and just the feedback. I mean, I can imagine is like really challenging to mm. take take in and take on, and like decide whether to leave it or take it. What was that like? Certainly, the the Foxified look is just the the magic of makeup. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the role that that plays when you're on TV, uh, colors, as you said, you know, I, and now all ju- jewel tones, um, where that probably was not the case for many, many years uh, prior to being on TV. And from a feedback standpoint, I have to like create a barrier between the feedback I get as a progressive on Fox News and people who disagree with me and you know, decide that because they disagree with my ideas, they're going to insult my appearance and not just focus on uh, the issues that are being discussed. So I, I've, I've been pretty good at like blocking out all that negativity, but also taking in that makeup artists 
artist is the right word. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely artists. They're geniuses and I've learned so much from them. They're many been at Boss for eight years and I the makeup artist said that I've gotten to work with they're like my family. I actually was a bridesmaid for one of my makeup artists. That's so nice. Couple of months ago. (laughs) Oh, that's the dream. That is one of, you know, one of the many things I really respect and appreciate about you is that you go to the place where people need to hear the messages the most. Um, And working with Fox, you know, it's, it's the real deal. And I can imagine that you get a lot of feedback and I can imagine that um, it can be challenging at times. So I really re- appreciate and respect you for that work. Um, so what do you do, you know, before we just, we, we jump into background and everything like that, what do you do for feedback? Like, how do you take that? How do you filter that um, in the land of Twitter and, and everything like that? I would love to hear your perspective. It's interesting. I've, I've always had a challenge with the feedback, I think, mm. where professionally, I've been very aggressive in putting my ideas out, in making sure that if I disagreed with whether it was a boss or a colleague, that I was communicating um, clearly and specifically. Mm. And that created a dynamic where I I would get feedback like, oh, you're so intimidating. And Mm. that meant when someone is intimidated by you, you don't get constructive criticism. You don't get feedback that can help you improve. And so I've always struggled with like pleading for feedback from friends and colleagues and, and moving to my media uh, that I do now with Fox. The feedback, like I said, is just, it's so not relevant to what I've been actually trying to put forward. So I do put a barrier up around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me going on Fox is if you're going to take two hours to do hair and makeup (laughs) (laughs) exactly that long, I'm not going to go through that process to talk to people who agree with me. I am really focused on the movable middle. And I know that when I'm on air, I'm talking to the audience. I'm not trying to change whether it's, you know, a host of Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson. I'm not trying to change their mind. I am trying to connect with the audience to give them a little bit of common sense and hope that they see that there's a different perspective. Otherwise, if if I was going on a network where the audience absolutely agreed with me, that would be a vanity project. And there are a lot of other projects I could be working on. Wow, honey. Yeah. I mean, it takes a special type of person to be able to empower people through that instead of just, you know, I think what we've been seeing too much of in this political climate is just breaking people down in order to um, get their point across. And so we respect you so much for that. And I'd love to know, like, what about your upbringing kind of inspired you or empowered you to become who you are today? I certainly think that I've always had activism in my DNA, you know, from a very early age, I was pushing the boundaries at student council and junior high and in high school, even where the participation in paint parties to make the signs for the pep rallies, um, the paint parties used to be at very wealthy people's homes in a very specific neighborhood. And there wasn't a diversity of participation. And, and so at a very early age, I was like, no, we've got to have these paint parties 
at the school where everyone can participate mm. right after school and they don't have to, you know, have transportation or be going to a neighborhood they're not familiar with. And so I, I know I was always fighting for diversity. I was always fighting to bring voices at the table that weren't there. You know, I also, when I dealt with personal pain in any way, I tried to find a way to, to find something good to come out of it. And when I lost you know, several friends in high school to drunk driving accidents, I mm. immediately turned to Mothers Against Drunk Driving and I joined their national advisory board. I founded Students Against Drunk Driving uh, on my campus and, and just trying to make sense of tragedy, but also turn it into something that could create good. And so that's always been a part of my DNA. Probably politically, the, the, the biggest spark was when I was 18 years old. I had registered to vote. I was very excited to vote for Ann Richards, who was <laughs> adored and just, you know, as you know, one of the most unique voices we've had politically. And, and I was going to be 18 to get to vote for her for governor of Texas. And I went to the polling place. I registered with enough time and I was told my name was not on the list and I couldn't vote. And I don't know how many people break down crying in a polling place, but I started crying. I oh. pleaded, I begged, I, I tried to oh. make it clear that I was registered to vote and, and they didn't let me vote that day. And I, I definitely made a decision in that moment to do whatever I could back to kind of how you use your personal pain to organize um, out of it. Um, I decided that whatever I could do to make sure that other young people, other marginalized communities didn't have to have that same experience. And, and so I immediately started looking at how to get more young people engaged in the process and, and how voter registration was such a big part of it. And then landing at Rock the Vote certainly was a dream come true on that front. Yeah, wow. Rock the Vote has changed the world. Um, it's it's incredible. So your mentality, like, do you have a, did you have a strong spiritual practice when you were young? Were you very close with your family? Or where did you get that mentality where it was never a victim mentality? It was always um, a community focused, a warrior mentality where what I love about you too is that you find ways to work within the system to make things happen and make mm. things change. So can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think growing up in Austin, Texas, uh, had a lot to do with it or, mm. or certainly some to do with it. When we moved here, I was five years old. My dad was coming to the university of Texas to study political science. Uh, but we landed in a city where the mayor was a woman Carol Keaton Rylander at the time. She was Democrat who then became a Republican, but she was reelected three times, which has never happened since. Uh, we had voices in Texas like Barbara Jordan and Ann Richards, as I mentioned before. And I always had a sense, like it didn't have to be, you know, told to me or proved to me. It was just the reality that women were leaders. And I, I think that that really created that core uh, belief in making sure that as a woman, even if I'm the only woman in the room, a lot of times I was the youngest person in the room, the only woman, the only person of color, that 
I belong there. Ann Richards had a saying that a, a, a woman's place is in the dome. And I, I certainly got that impression from a very, very early age. Of course, my, my dad being politically focused uh, probably played into it. I think a lot of people get their political motivations either in support of or against their parents. <laughs> that plays <laughs> into it. And I, I certainly always wanted to make sure that if I had an opinion, I didn't hold it into myself, that someone out there could benefit from my opinion. And they didn't tell me in school, like there's no guidance counselor that said, oh, one day you could get paid to give your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't they? T- it's funny. The guidance yeah. counselors miss a bunch of like really yeah. cool jobs Love that you them. could have. <laughs> Love them, but I know it's hard. <laughs> um, that's amazing. I, I'm, I'm so curious about like the development of your, your voice. Um, I think as women, um, sometimes we're kind of, I guess, in a way just told to maybe be quiet or polite or sound a certain way, sound cute and, you know, likable and raising our pitch, but you have such a grounded tone and you are so articulate. So was there a turning point there or were you always this way? Well, I, I think my mom tells a story of a teacher calling her in to school <laughs> to mm-hmm. complain about the fact that I um, basically was controlling the class. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. My That's awesome. <laughs> were listening to me more than they were listening to uh, the teacher. And and yes, that, that has definitely been a part of my upbringing was... <laughs> maybe I have an issue with control. Maybe it comes from, you know, just wanting to not be silenced. Um, Mm. But it's, it's worked. It's worked for me, not just from a a political standpoint. I think most importantly, the, the thing that I love the most is to help train other women to amplify their voices using my experiences. The fact that it was never really hard for me personally to, to speak up is something that I want to impart and, and to help other women, to help other marginalized communities find that strength to tap into their authentic self and, and to really help them understand that if they don't put their opinion forward, there's an entire community of voices that is not being heard. Mm, I love that. And on that point, so what are some of the setbacks that women of color experience in politics and in media and what have you experienced personally? Well, certainly there's that double whammy of sexism and racism. And, you know, I am, I'm not quick to use racism um, as an attack. I, I think that there is bias, certainly unconscious bias, um, brain science, you know, just for us to be able to function as human beings, our brains have to categorize things and that leads to stereotyping. And at the end of the day, we, we're animals. And so we have these instincts and we have these requirements to survive. And so just understanding that we all have bias, I think is important, but certainly as a woman of color, I, I have faced 
sexism. They have faced um, bias. And, and at times I've faced direct racism. I, I try to draw on strength to not just call out an issue, but to help the person who might be putting forward um, a wrong idea or creating an unfair situation to help them see where they could be better. I hope that we can get to a place as a country where like, it's not just us versus them, but that we're all moving forward uh, in pursuit of being better, of addressing our biases. When you know you have a bias, then that's when you can actually start to address it and to correct it. Mm. Are you ever afraid? Like when you, I mean, you have such a like fresh perspective and, you know, a lot of times you are talking to men and not that I'm not saying afraid of men. I'm just saying like, you know, it feels like you're this like beacon of light, like kind of... (laughs) Uh kind of dropping truth and you're on TV and there are millions of people watching, like, is there ever a fear? And if there ever is like, how do you, how do you power through that? Well, I, I'm definitely afraid at Mm -hmm. times. Yeah. You know, when I talk to other women and and I do media training a lot, I I make it clear that I've been working for Fox news for now eight years. I don't think that there's any time I've gone on air that I haven't been a little bit anxious. You know, Mm. you're speaking to millions of people. The issues that you're talking about are really, really important. And, and to some people like about survival. And, and so I tap into that fear. I understand that, you know, when you have those feelings, like that means your adrenaline is pumping more and, and that's a good thing. Like, just like it's going to help you finish that paper that you procrastinated for <laughs> until the very last mm-hmm. moment, that adrenaline is, is going to help my performance, help me connect better. And so I embrace it. I don't run away from it. Mm. I don't deny that it exists because that's just ridiculous. We're all human. Um, and so whether it's in front of a camera or on a stage, I certainly will be anxious. I certainly will... I don't know if being afraid is the right word, but I want to do the best job possible. And, and there are always concerns of, am I doing the best job? And, and with that concern means that I'm probably going to do a better job. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, on the fear point, when your work with the Me Too movement, did you like, I would love to hear, you know, your thought process behind what you've done, the work you've done there related to the New York times or related to your own political party. And, um, if that was fearful and the response you got. Certainly, you know, with, with me too, and, and the New York times specifically, when I started, uh, the conversation with reporters at the New York times about, my personal experience with Bill O'Reilly and uh, what I thought were not just thought, but absolutely were wrong things that were said and and fell in the bucket of sexual harassment. When I started that conversation, it took about nine months for their article to come out. Mm, And as you can imagine, you know, Probably in that nine-month period, I was talking to the reporter, Emily Steele, almost once a week. Mm. Um, and it, I, 
it was definitely terrifying at times because I'm sharing stories about the most powerful person on air at the company that I worked for. And it was absolutely necessary. It, it's something that I have no regrets about. But just when you are in the middle of a situation like that, where you don't know if the article is going to work. I mean, there were times that I wasn't even sure if it was going to come out. Lots of questions about, and we've seen this with the um, most recent hearings for the Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. But it's like, well, do you have proof? Like, you know, who did you talk to? And you're yeah. having to then like categorize a situation in your life that you don't want to, but then you have to actually be able to like point to very specific people that you talk to or dates and times and and going through emails. And and so that whole experience was certainly trying, but what pushed me through for those nine months was that it was absolutely necessary to bring these stories to light because Mm. one story represents hundreds of thousands of stories hundreds of thousands of experiences that women are having. And, and I, I understand my privilege. I, I think a lot of people talk about privilege solely from like a kind of white privilege. Yeah. Standpoint. Yeah. I, I understand that I'm privileged. I, I understand I'm privileged to have actually grown up in Austin, Texas and our yeah. public school system is completely different than the one that I probably would have gotten in Silver Spring, Maryland at the time. Mm. I understand that I was privileged for the community that I grew up in, um, whether it was my church community or my school community, uh, where you know the school that I was able to go to was a top performing school in the country as a public school, much more so than many private schools. So as a on-air personality, I am privileged with a platform. And if I'm not able to tap into that, how can we expect others who don't have that platform, especially mm. young women who are just entering the workforce? And, and so that's what pushed me through was, was understanding that I was in a place of privilege and I had an opportunity to change the world for hundreds of thousands of, of women. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, you've certainly empowered women, but have you been able to, in your eyes, empower some men to join the conversation in a progressive, constructive, conscious way? Like I just, you know, I I don't think any of us are like, we hate men. It's just like, I want to have a really conscious understanding of like our experience. And so have you been able to do that on or off air? I hope so. You know, I outside of the process I went through with the times and the Mm -hmm. Bill O'Reilly article, you know, I had a a very specific uh, situation happen to me um, at the Democratic National Convention in 1996 and um, was assaulted by a DNC member uh, who, when the Me Too movement was really taken off, I, I shared the story of my assault. He's a state rep in Georgia. And I use the sharing of my story to really try to hold the Democratic Party accountable to the sexual harassment, sexual assault, the, the sexism, and even at times racism that, that exists within our party as we are trying to be a beacon um, on these issues. And, and I did everything I, I thought I could do to 
connect with men, to, to make them understand that within our party, we have to have accountability, even for people who agree with us on issues that we care so much about, from healthcare to education. But if they're not doing the right thing as it relates to treatment mm. of women, then they're not on our side. I, I think it I think it connected with some folks within the party. I, I can say that one of my biggest disappointments um, over the past year was that uh, the state representative who assaulted me in 1996 and then 10 years later at Hillary's convention in Philadelphia in 2016, he was sitting two feet in front of me and I, I wanted to like uh, and just uh, strangle him. He's he's running unopposed, uh, honey, in this upcoming election. Uh, and so it's on my to do list. Uh, yeah, going anywhere. Uh, I, I think he we're going to kill him, right? He hasn't survived it. I, I'm not mm. going to be silent um, mm. until there's accountability on his front as well. State Representative Calvin Smyre from Georgia. Mm. We got you. What is our social responsibility to one another? Like, how can we support one another, you know, as it relates to Me Too, as it relates to voting, or just how have you seen that really make an impact on your role and and the impact that you're making? I I certainly hope that we can get to a place where the responsibility that we all have to each other is is from a place of humanity. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the Mm -hmm. ideal, right? But until we get to parity, there's some greater, uh, on a lot of fronts, (laughs) we need to get to parity on whether it's politically, socially, in corporate America, so many different places that there's a lot of work um, still left to be done. But I do think women, we have a greater responsibility um, to each other. And I've come in and out of different roles um, professionally within the women's community, whether it was running the women's office at the Democratic National Committee early in my 20s, or serving as president of the Women's Media Center, which was founded by Gloria Steinem and Jane Fonda before I started working for Fox News. And uh, my experience at times uh, within the women's leadership community is that we have a lot of work to do to support each other and and not feel competition, I think, at times, not feel that there is a, a you know, standard that, uh, as a feminist, that has to be met 110%, and if not, then you're somehow less of a feminist. Um, I, I've certainly gotten that feeling, but you know what is great, y'all? What? <laughs> the millennial generation. Oh, I agree. Okay. I know. I agree. Everyone, I mean, some people talk bad about them, but I am so pumped. Yes, the, the collaborative approach to leadership that I didn't see um, early mm. on in, in my career is it's just amazing to watch. And, you know, you look at the Women's March, and it wasn't one person leading that effort. It was a mm. multitude of women from all places and different backgrounds and different races and, and, and different beliefs. And I think that just, that's exactly where we should be. And so knowing that, you know, as a Gen Xer, um, <laughs> knowing that the generation right behind me has a different approach to leadership that 
does include collaboration in, in ways that was that were missing um, from my professional experiences, I, I, I feel good. We're going to be all right. Mm -hmm. I agree. Do you have um, advice for those that are kind of stepping females who are stepping into these leadership roles, you know, positions of power, a part of what you mentioned, and I believe uh, a piece you wrote about the pink wave, like, do you have kind of words of wisdom or just as you've watched many women kind of rise, things that have really stuck with you? I, I would definitely say be true to yourself. Mm. I think it's really easy as you start to build a platform, as you start to get attention, support in in a variety of different fields, that there's feedback that you can get that can take you away from who you authentically are. Um, certainly within the political realm, um, from a you know running for office perspective. There's feedback that consultants give all the time about mm-hmm. hair needs to look this way. You need to talk this way. You need to use these words. And, and then you end up creating a person who is not actually you. And so uh, my biggest piece of advice would be stay true to yourself. And for me, I, I was really fortunate um, when I had a conversation with Henry Cisneros uh, very early in my uh, political career, and he was a secretary of HUD under President Clinton. He had gone through some very serious challenges with some issues in his past um, and decisions he made where he was kind of, you know, discredited. Um, And I had an opportunity to have a conversation with him, and he said, you know, as a young kid, I I kind of drew this line, uh, and I knew I would never cross that line. And now, you know, decades later, I turn around and that line is miles behind me. And it never was one big step that I took over that line. It was tiny little steps that I took along the way mm-hmm. that moved me away from who I was, who I knew I wanted to be. And, and so I think in, in small decisions, um, Feedback is good. Constructive criticism is good, but we have to remain true to ourselves. And that's how you connect with the community. That's how you build community because people respect and they are drawn through to authenticity. We know that. And so whoever is trying to make you inauthentic, that's not who you should be listening to. Listen to your heart. Mm, like the album. Like the Yes. Best book ever. I would love to talk about, and we touched on this a little bit. Um, we're going to be releasing this around uh, midterm elections. Very important. And we're, it was faded that you were on and, you know, we're so honored to have you on. I'd love to talk about Rock the Vote. You know, mm-hmm. your work with Rock the Vote, that was huge. I mean, I remember that impacting me, you know, at a young, I just, I remember feeling like that was the first time that in the media and that in popular culture, mm-hmm. people were aware of doing something and aware of the impact on uh, bringing people together to make a change that mattered. And it's just incredible. So I'd love to hear, you know, your experience doing that. Your Yeah, your experience doing that. It, it was the best job ever. Uh, <laughs> many years removed from my time as president of Rock the Vote, but, you know, really like, one of the things that I, I treasure is that I actually accepted my job at Rock the Boat thinking that I was going to be opening an office in Washington, D.C., where I was living at the time. And 
you know, I have this great life. I had a great community, I had awesome friends and, and I accepted the job. And then they said, Oh, we changed our mind, but you can come to LA. We're not going to open the DC office, but you can come to LA. And, and you can imagine it's like, ah, yeah. <laughs> moving across the country, but I took that risk. And when I got to rock the boat, one of the things that I realized was as great as the brand was, and we all know the power of branding. And I, I think rock the boat did an incredible job of really taking lessons from corporate America around branding and, mm. and how you connect with consumers, the consumers being voters at the time. The brand was there, but the substance wasn't there. Uh, we couldn't point to how many people we had registered to vote, or we didn't even have a database of the people that we had registered to vote. And so I I, I took on that challenge of, of making sure we were bringing in technology, whether it was introducing online voter registration for the first time, and also our relationship with celebrities. Uh, while I was at Rock the Vote, I think we worked with over 200 celebrities um, to connect with their audiences. But it was really important to me that the celebrities we worked with, that they believed in what they were doing, that it wasn't just a marketing opportunity for them and, and for it to be a really authentic activity because also young people can like see their BS, right? Uh, so bringing that same message of authentic communication uh, through our work with celebrities was, was key to our success at Rock the Vote. And also I think just flooding the, the system a lot of people hear Rock the Boat and they think, oh, it's just music. We, we created this surround sound approach where it was like, okay, where do young people go? Yes, they go to concerts, so we will be there. They also shop. So we will go to the companies that they're shopping with. We're going to have those companies create T-shirts. Um, what do they do? They Sometimes they go and get Slurpees at 7-Eleven, which at the time, I don't know if anyone gets Slurpees. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm guilty. I've had one or two. (laughs) We had voter registration on the Slurpee cups, and we had voter registration at the 7-Eleven desks as you were checking out. We just made it very clear that every place that a young person connected with in their life, that there would be a message of registering to vote and why their vote was so important. And I think it's interesting how politicians are really only in awe of celebrities and themselves a lot of times. And I mean, I wonder who you're talking about. <laughs> celebrities are only in awe of politicians. And, and so it was just this great intersection to be able to tap into both of those worlds. But I'll tell y'all, I was uh, 26, 27 um, when I first started at Rock the Boat. Wow. And all of my bosses, I think we had 30 board members at Rock the Vote. They were the chairman of Viacom, the president of MTB, the head of Sony Records. They were mostly men, uh, probably like 99% mm-hmm. men. And I was this young black girl. Yeah. would say, no, we're not going to do it that way because that makes no sense. That's not going to add to our numbers. That's not going to add to our impact. And, and saying no <laughs> to people who, in their jobs, like when they tell someone to do something, thousands of people would say yes. <laughs> These right. were the people who controlled the entire entertainment industry. And I had to sit at the table and, and, and push back. Um, 
And so to that, you know, fear we talked about earlier, that fear was, was certainly within me. But then again, I used that adrenaline to, to know that my voice at that table wasn't only just my voice. It mm. was all of the young women. It was all of the, you know, other young people who didn't have a seat at that table at that mm. time. And the last thing I'll add about Rock the Vote is I think the proudest thing I did there was our work with the Dixie Chicks. Um, oh, man. Love, love, love. I'm a country music fan growing up in Texas. Yes. Um, and when they came out against President Bush, um, oh, I just got chills. it was like, people went crazy. They were, you know, yep. country music was like, you know, going over their CDs with tractors and, and they lost radio play and and when that situation happened, I said to the team, we have to support these ladies. We have to create a campaign. We have to connect with them to make sure that they understand that their freedom of expression is being protected and, and to give them a platform to continue their political engagement. And we created this campaign called Chicks Rock, Chicks Vote. We went around the country with them on their tour and got to know them uh, very well. And yeah. Oh. for a country music fan and a political <laughs> to be able to combine those two worlds. What? Oh, I'm That's so happy for you. So when you were, you know, a 26, 27 year old black woman in the room with these mostly older men that are mostly white, what did you change the way that you communicated uh, so that you could make sure that you were effectively speaking to these men that, you know, have grown up it where women don't really say no to them and black women, you know, don't really say no to them. So how did you adjust like your way of communication so that you knew you were being effective, you knew you were being respected and you knew you were being heard? Well, certainly for me, it was important to be the most informed person <laughs> in the room yeah. and you know when you're talking about young people and you're the young person at the table owning that expertise mm. was really really important and and this also plays into how i ended up getting um my position at fox news actually because mm. i was doing a panel uh at harvard university for the 10th anniversary of um, john f kennedy jr's passing and they did this big event to talk about the intersection of pop culture and politics mm. to honor his, um, the George magazine that he had founded. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember, like they put Cindy Crawford on the cover dressed as George Washington. And it was all to like make politics hip. So we were kind of celebrating that moment, but the people they invited were president Clinton, governor Schwarzenegger at the time, Tom Brokaw was the moderator, Roger Ailes, the, CEO of Fox News, uh, was on stage. Paul Begala, who's a big political consultant who I grew up in Texas, just in awe of. And David Gergen, um, you know, who's worked with like four presidents from both sides of the aisle and me. But again, the conversation was about young people and politics and pop culture. And in that situation, I was the expert. <laughs> Not Tom Brokaw, not David Gergen, wow. not Paul Begala. I was the expert. And, and so I was very comfortable in being mm -hmm. the loudest person on that stage. Just like with my board members, I was very comfortable because 
if you're the expert on your issue, that really empowers you, right? To, to speak up. A lot of times men will read a newspaper article and then say, I'm an expert on it. Like, oh, I read an article on rocket science today. So I could answer <laughs> that question about rocket science. <sighs> Women, we take, you know, longer to feel mm. that we're experts. We think that, oh, I need this further credential. Or I need these further letters by my name. Uh, and so I think from a very early age, I was able to own my expertise and allow that um, ownership of my expertise to propel me forward to be comfortable in either saying no or speaking up or being the loudest person in the room or on a panel. And the chairman, um, the CEO of Fox, uh, Roger Ailes at the time, who uh, passed away a, a, about a year ago after also some very serious sexual harassment issues and, oh. and having left Fox News. But he came up to me afterwards after that panel and he said, I really like what you had to say. The next time you're in New York, come and see me. I want to help you. He became my mentor. And mm. that's how I ended up at Fox News because I spoke my mind. I spoke my truth, regardless of who I was surrounded with the big wigs. Wow. That's whoa, such a good lesson for women now, just like starting to speak their truth and maybe perhaps not known yet, but yeah. Um, I love that the, as Krista mentioned, this episode is coming out the Friday before election day. And I just, I think a lot of our girls, most of them are registered to vote, but I think, you know, there are pockets of people. Yeah, I know we've been, we've been pushing it. I mean, it's like, there are pockets of people who, um, you know, I'll hear whisperings like, you know, I'm not voting. Like, why? Like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're especially around when Trump was elected and just kind of feeling the sting of, of that. So why should people vote? Like, let's get, get down to the kind of like the mm -hmm. basics of why it's important that we show up to the polls, especially in these midterm elections. I feel like some people are like, yeah, it's midterm elections. Like why? So I'd love for you to kind of break down and for like a final, um, empowerment push the Friday before. For sure. And I, I just have to start with, I think what is most exciting about the upcoming midterms is the number of women who are running for office. And, and the closer that we're going to actually get to gender parity in elected office. Uh, so there are 519,000 elected offices up for grabs in the country. And right now we're at about 17% of those positions being held by women. But there, there is a pink wave that is happening. It is strong and it is beautiful. And it is because after the 2016 election, when a lot of women said, oh, if someone who has no political experience can become the most powerful person on the planet, I can be a school board member to make sure that my kids are getting the education that I'd like to see them get. I can mm. be a city council member. I can run for county commission. I can run for state rep. And so I, I think that is, is something that we should all hold on to as being one, a strong reason why we should all vote <laughs> on election day, or you know, if there's early voting, then vote right now, because we have the opportunity in this election to move the needle further than we've seen it moved in our lifetime in electing women 
to office. And I personally feel like women do government better. There's lots of studies that show that we do more, we sponsor more bills. We reach across the aisle. We don't run for ego. We run to find solutions. And the list goes on and on and on as far as why women do government better. But to your broader question about why it's so important to vote, I have to admit that um, even my time at Rock the Vote and uh, other uh, efforts I've worked on starting back at the Democratic National Committee, I feel like I've been lying uh, mm -hmm. for many, many years because every election it's, this is the most important election of our lifetime. <laughs> and all of the other times I said that, I was wrong. <laughs> this election, this midterm election, is the most important election of our lifetime. Mm. And when you look at how divided the country is, when you look at uh, certainly the, the way the media has responded to the politics of our time, th this is not who we are as a country. Um, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I, I think you can agree that something is broken and it needs to be fixed. And the only thing that politicians listen to are those votes on election day. And so using your voice to show people, not just in DC, but to show your local politicians, especially because those races have a greater impact on you, you know, who's on your city council or who's your mayor, probably has a greater impact on you than who's in the White House. But using your voice to show as a country, as a community of citizens, that we're paying attention, that we're going to hold them accountable, that we're going to uh, insist on progress. It's not this stalemate that we've been in. It has never been more important than ever before, not just for the politicians, but also for our, the media, the people who tell the stories of what is happening. I, I think the media uh, needs a What's that word? They need to come up and, uh, mm -hmm. because the stories that they are telling about our politics, uh, the focus um, it is really, I think, harming us. And and they're you know expecting apathy in in I think a lot of ways. Midterms at times you have something like in different places, twenty percent, thirty percent of the voting age population participating in elections. So that means that. Are you okay with 30%, you know, three out of 10 people in your neighborhood deciding everything about what's going to happen in your neighborhood or your community? Mm. That's just, that's unacceptable. But yes, so I apologize for lying for the last 24 years about those <laughs> other elections. This election is it. Are there any people um, that we should look out for that are really exciting from your perspective? Yes, all the women. Yeah. <laughs> all the ladies. Amen. Just check. Um, look, I I I have um I have made it my personal commitment and I think it was also just important from a soul food standpoint to focus on training and helping women get elected. There's only so much we can do with kind of the political discourse and and when you look at it from afar, it's hard to figure out okay, what what impact can I have? And so through my work with Vote Run Lead um, as now board chair and a founding board member, we've trained over 12,000 women to run for office since 2016. So to your question about Ooh. who I'm most excited about, it's going to be 
all of those 12,000 women who are running. Um, but uh, who I'm really excited about, Stacey Abrams, um, mm. the opportunity for her to become the first African-American governor. Uh, I, I remember as a, a young person, like watching Barbara Jordan and, and understanding the the role that seeing her played in my career. I, it, it is so important for other young women of color to see Stacey successful and She's right on the issues as far as I'm concerned. Ayanna Presley, um, who is running for Congress in Massachusetts, is really exciting. She went up against the Democratic establishment and she wasn't supported by groups, even like Emily's List didn't support her. Uh, mm. And people were telling her, wait your turn. Um, the person who's in office right now, he's good, he's good, wait your turn. And she was like, no, now is the time. I'm very excited. For Ayana, but the list is so long, and I know it may seem easy for some people would be like, "Oh, it's reverse sexism to say that women do government better." But studies do show that women enter politics to find solutions, and men enter politics in greater numbers to seek out power. And I think. Everyone can agree that what we are looking for, what we need, what is so desperately um, important are the solutions that have been missing. So if it's a lady, check back her box. <laughs> yes. Uh, then where, so, you know, those are awesome. Where could our girls um, educate themselves? So what are some news outlets, media sources, or what are some places that they can find really helpful information for them while we approach elections so they can make the right decision or the decision that works best for them? Great, great question. Lots of different um, sources. I, I would recommend Ballotpedia um, as a way of kind of getting neutral information about the candidates. I think it is really important in uh, the current political environment that we're in that we don't get information solely from a bubble. Mm. No, I'm a Democrat. I work on Fox News. And that means I have insight into a lot of ideas that people who disagree with me have. And I, I think we have to seek out sources of information that are outside of our bubble. And so I'd recommend for your audience, if, if you're living in a media bubble right now and only receiving information from outlets that agree with you, to try to at least carve out one outlet that might have a differing opinion so you can understand the issues that are at stake holistically and not just from, you know, a kind of very narrow perspective. And so definitely try to find one opposing source to receive your news. Try to find a neutral source, something like Ballotpedia. I, I think that it is absolutely, absolutely important to talk to your friends um, mm. about this election and, and, and learn from the information that they're getting from different sources, because that's going to also mean that it's more likely that your group of friends on election day or through this early voting process will be able to keep moving that ball forward and, and cast those ballots. Because a lot of people do a lot of talking, uh, whether it's around the proverbial water cooler. I don't know if I've seen a water cooler in <laughs> a long time. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people do a lot of talking about politics, a lot of bitching about politics, and this isn't going, but 
in seeking out sources of information, as you get that information in, share it with your friends, share it with your community, mm-hmm. and also share your plan to vote. Mm-hmm. Are you going yeah. to vote early voting? Are you going to vote on election day? How are you getting there? Do you want to do a buddy system or, hey, make it a happy hour situation? Go and vote and then y'all, you know, go get a martini or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last question for me. Um, what has been the most um, prominent silver lining in the wake of the 2016 election? I just feel like, yeah, there was a lot of, and still continues to be a lot of things that are disturbing, but you seem to have found a lot of the silver lining. So what one hits home for you the most? No, no doubt at all. It's it's the increased number of women who are running for office We've been stuck um, at this around 20% for the last 20 years. And before uh, the outcome of the 2016 election, I'm a very optimistic person, Mm -hmm. but I was not optimistic that I would see gender parity in politics in my lifetime. I I probably was optimistic that we would see a woman as president, but that we weren't going to get to 50% women in elective office, that has absolutely changed. This pink wave is real. It's not going to just stop with the 2018 midterm election. I think that's where we've gone wrong before in the past where it's been like the year of the woman and then it's not the year of the woman. Well, 2018 is the year of the woman and then guess what? 2019 is gonna be the year of the woman. 2020 is gonna be the year of the woman. In 2019, there are 20,000 school board seats up for grabs, and we've already seen many women looking to run for those seats. So that that's the silver lining, and um, it's not even a lining. I think that that's that's the silver like lamination of everything happening politically right now. It, it is it's changed, and that that's happening right now where we're able to participate in it mm. in this moment. We're so blessed, right? Mm. To be able to, to help see <sighs> gender parity happen. Yeah. Completely. So agree. funny on your screen, the room just got white bright. <laughs> yeah, It just got like, you were like, we are so blessed and the room just lit mm-hmm. up. It must be the sun finally coming out. <laughs> I mean, something that's for sure. Yeah. This has been an absolute delight and I am, couldn't be more grateful to present you with our community if they are not familiar already and to have you to help us articulate the importance of voting and the importance of getting out there, um, to hear your story and to know that someone exists like you is, um, Truly, I'm truly grateful. Where can our uh, women connect with you and and see and hear more? Thanks for that. I am on social media and on all the different platforms. Certainly would welcome everyone to follow me on Twitter. Um, When I was young, I wanted to have a name like Jennifer, but a name like Jamu is actually great for social media. So it is. (laughs) I, I welcome people to follow me on my Facebook page. And certainly from a, a political standpoint, I encourage your audience to go to voterunlead.org and, and to start thinking about not maybe if you're going to run for office tomorrow or next year, but is running for office uh, you know, something that you could do in the next three years or the next five years or you know even 10 years from now to start that process 
We have over 80 online resources at voterunleave.org to, to help you figure out what office should I run for? Is this, you know, a path that I should go down? Um, how to build your political capital? We say run as you are. So we, we think that every woman has the skills and the network and the passion, everything she needs to run as you are now. But we will provide those tools, that coaching, um, that experience that will help you get there. And so I definitely encourage folks to find us at VoteRunLead.org. And I have to say to y'all, when are y'all going to run for office? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, the, I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to like not burn my dinner. <laughs> I hear you. Well, what are you doing to amplify mm. both of your voices through this platform, but more importantly, your audience to, to amplify their understanding of these important issues oh. is incredible. And so thank, thank you. you for doing that. And, and it's just in the spirit, again, of I think the contributions that women are making to our community um, in ways greater than ever before. Much. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. And thank you for being here. It was very, very powerful and so timely. So thank you for the and work And thanks that to you your do. team for mm-hmm. reaching out and for being such dolls and sending great information. <laughs> so sweet. They rock. <laughs> they're awesome. Yeah. They're, they're the, the best. best. Um, we are so grateful. We, you know, thank you and for all the work that you do and are so excited about the future because of women like you. So thank you. Thank you. And right back at y'all ladies. All right. Have we'll a good talk one. to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.